Jackie Delaney joining me now. She works in the Senate, but it, um, I should tell you that uh, we go way back as close personal friends. And so I know how tough this has been for you. And of course, send all my love and condolences. But you have been very active about talking about, you know, your dad and some of the struggles you and your family have been facing, um, just even in getting to visit him. But let me just kind of start backwards here because you've just spent the whole morning um, and much of today burying your dad and, and you couldn't even be there. You had to do it on online. Uh, yes, uh, his service just wrapped up. Uh, myself and my three siblings, we are spread across North America and we were thankfully able to take part in the service, watch the service uh, over Skype. So, I mean, I at least have that blessing, but I'll be honest, Alex, I think you know me well enough that I don't put my, my personal life on social media. I'm a very active tweeter, but I don't actually put my personal life out there. And I thought long and hard about putting my personal life out there with my dad first last week when he was quite ill uh, and now yesterday, um, following his passing on Sunday, um, I do it because I, there are so many people going through what my dad went through and what my family went through and it has to stop and nobody's talking about it. And what it is, what I'm talking about is this blanket policy in our hospitals and long-term care facilities where they are not allowing visits because the reason being, quite frankly, they don't have enough PPE. That's a failure of our governments. And even now, at all government, all levels, all political stripe. And even now, two and a half months after we've gone into lockdown, this continues to be a problem. And nobody's talking about this. Nobody's talking about the human cost of not having enough PPE for people outside of COVID. My dad was diagnosed with cancer three weeks ago. He went into the hospital for emergency surgery. His wife was with him in ICU. She helped my dad. She got him up for walks. She got him up in a chair. She, it, it's so key to helping someone in that situation. But she helped him improve to the point that he was moved out of ICU and she was sent home. Within days, my dad was no longer sitting up. He was no longer going for walks. He developed pneumonia. He was mumbling. He couldn't cough. He had to be suctioned. We would call and we couldn't understand him. He was confused. Didn't know why his children weren't there. Didn't know why his wife wasn't coming. He was mad. He thought we didn't care. He thought his wife had dumped him there to die. This is a man who went into hospital with no cognitive issues. And he went in there and he became so confused and didn't understand. And he thought he was dumped there to die. And it didn't matter how many times the nurses and doctors explained it to him. He thought he was dumped there to die. So you know what? He died. He gave up and he died. My dad is the strongest person I know. He's the most stoic person I know. He lived through cardiothoracic surgery three years ago when nobody thought he would make it. But it's because he's a fighter. But this time, 
And what if I, because he thought nobody cared. And because nobody was there to help him and to hold his hand. You know, we've, um, we've isolated our, our elders, um, certainly those in seniors' homes, because it's all about this iron ring of protecting them. But I think in doing so, as you know, the days go on, we're now into month three where families haven't seen their loved ones for 12, 13 weeks. Some of them have dementia. Some of them have Alzheimer's. Some of them are like your dad. They were healthy, but they're starting to deteriorate because of the isolation. You actually believe that your dad died of a broken heart. Oh, I, I will never be convinced. Look, don't get me wrong. My, my dad's cancer, even though it was only recently diagnosed, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't great. He wasn't in a great situation, but they had removed the tumor and he was showing improvement post-op. So the fact that he deteriorated to the point that he did, and we could hear it over the phone, I know my dad. When I was with him three years ago, when he was in hospital, I saw improvement every day. I wasn't seeing that this time. Mm -hmm. And I know my dad, he was in pain. He was struggling and he would, he would constantly be confused. And yeah, no, you won't convince me that, that my dad didn't go earlier than he would have under normal circumstances. I mean, we've yeah. heard the we've heard the saying, you know, that the cost of the, the disease or the cost of the cure maybe be more than, than, than the disease. And we are paying a price because uh, of stories like this, of what we're hearing, because the regulations around visitation and that are so strong, whether it's children playing with children or seniors being isolated from the world, there's going to be a price to pay. We don't know what that price will be in your case. It's that you lost your dad. And I have to think you must feel an immense amount, even though it's not your fault in any way. But there's a real guilt there that families are going to be left behind, including people like you. Look, I have a lot of guilt because then, of course, I start thinking, oh, maybe I should have visited him more. Maybe I should have called him more. And I think it's because I wasn't able to rush to his side. I had a flight booked. I mean, this is the other side of this. It's, it's dealing with New Brunswick's unconstitutional uh, border closure. I had a flight booked. I had a hotel room booked for three weeks so I could go in and self-isolate, but I wasn't even allowed into the province because I couldn't get a document from the hospital saying that once I arrived there, I'd be allowed in to be his caregiver. So, you know, that's a whole other angle to this story. So I couldn't even rush to be by my dad's side like I did three years ago. My sister couldn't rush to be by his side. We were told, nope, stay home. And, and you know what, Alex, my sister was a lifelong bureaucrat, basically. She knows who to reach out to. She knows what's going on in, in government. She went on an email writing campaign, the likes of which I have never seen. She reached out to the premier's office, the minister, the deputy minister, the chief medical officer of health, the patient ombudsman, the patient advocate at Horizon. She reached out to everybody and only one person got back to her. And they were somebody who couldn't do anything. And then last week, this is when I finally decided to go public actually, because the patient advocate got back to my sister and said, uh, you know, we, we are sad for you, uh, but because your dad isn't, and I quote here, because your dad isn't actively passing, there's nothing we can do. Well, four days later, I'd like her to know that my dad actively passed. So I, yeah. I hope everybody feels good about the, 
you know, the, the unanswered emails and, and, and the comments that were made. We've got, we've got to do better. We need to have a heart here. The, what we are doing right now, Alex, is we are shoving people in hospitals and long-term care homes and saying they can't have loved ones for their own protection. So that's great. You're protecting them from COVID. So you protected my dad from COVID, but he died from something else. So bravo. Well done. And yet, you know, you see through the streets across North America, whether it's the United States or even Toronto, Montreal, we've got all these protests and, and parties in the park last week in Toronto with thousands and thousands of people. They're not doing anything to self-isolate. They're breaking all the rules of what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, you know, it's not helping anything. And, and people like yourself, and you're not the only one we've heard this about, are being completely locked out of doing what at at the very least is is what a child would do i mean it's 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 the word cruelty comes to mind of, of what has happened here the cruelest thing that happened to my dad was that his my dad and his wife were self-isolating together so whatever my dad had she had or whatever she had my dad had already so when he went into the hospital there was no reason she couldn't have been with him she was brought in after his surgery because a couple of hours post-op, he was rushed to ICU. So she was brought in and she was with him in ICU. The cruelest thing that was done to my dad was when he was moved from ICU and his wife was taken from him. They kissed each other through their masks and she said goodbye to him as he was wheeled onto the elevator. And she said she knew she'd never see him alive again. That is cruelty. So here's my thing to the hospitals. And again, the reason I'm public with this is because I know it's happening to so many other people. We're not special. We're just the same as thousands of other people across the country. Here's what governments and chief medical officers need to do. If pro sports teams can figure it out, if retailers can figure it out, if restaurants can figure it out, surely to God, our hospitals can figure out how to bring people in, whether it's by appointment, whether it's on different days, whatever. But they're not even at this point, as far as I can see, they're not even trying. And that is what has to change. Well, Jackie, I sure hope to hear the message, uh, because if, if you can't fight the system and you know how to play the system, then I, I don't know if anybody will. But I do thank you for sharing um, your experience with us on a, on a very, very tough day. Alex, I just want to say one thing. I just want to say I will miss him dearly.